Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never a bad time for equality, is there? Saying that it will come with the time while it hasn't come, we've waited enough. EU Confidential brings you a special new mini-series on women. 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 Power. Power. And, and the EU, EU election. The XX Factor features both politicians and candidates. Women are risk-takers. People forget that. Female leaders in the European Union. You can really feel the change. You're listening to The XX Factor. Welcome to the XX Factor, where we discuss women, power, and the EU election. My name is Sarah Wheaton, and I'm a healthcare reporter at Politico. I'm hosting the XX Factor this week as we look at what Europe can learn from elsewhere. Record numbers of women are standing for election in countries around the world, changing the global face of politics and bringing gender equality in national legislatures a step closer. Last year, an equal number of men and women were elected to Mexico's parliament. It's being celebrated as a major milestone. When the 64th Congress is sworn in on September 1st, it will make Mexican history. Both the Senate and lower house, called the Chamber of Deputies, will have the greatest number of women lawmakers ever. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern gave birth to a daughter, making her the second woman leader to have a baby while in office, after Pakistani Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto in 1990. I am by no means the first woman to multitask. Uh, And in terms of being a woman in politics, there are plenty of women who carved a path and incrementally have led the way to be able to make it possible for people to look upon my time in leadership and think, yes, I can do the job and be a mother. Rwanda has the highest number of women parliamentarians worldwide. Women have won over 60 percent of seats in the lower house. In Europe, the average percentage of women in national parliaments, just 30.2 percent. So let's move out of our little Brussels bubble and look at what we can learn from outside the EU. Women need to dare, women need to step forward. And I think this is sort of one of the lessons we can take away from developments in the United States. It's that there, the attention is really about the individuals and building a pipeline. That's Karina Horst. Deputy Director of the Brussels Office of the German Marshall Fund of the U.S. We talked to her about the lessons the EU can take away from the last midterm elections in the United States. But first, we caught up with regular EU Confidential contributor Lena Arboros. She's from Jordan and works in Brussels as the Managing Director of the consultancy agency Eurofex. I'm Jordanian. I was raised in Amman, uh, and my family is still there. Lena worked for the past 11 years in Brussels and Barcelona. 
Before that, she was working for the Jordanian government. We are just a few days away from the 73rd anniversary of Jordan as a country. And I believe uh, right from the beginning of the establishment of Jordan, one of the key elements uh, and the key highlights were how they can have women head-to-head with men, whether directly or indirectly. Latest percentages are not so high or we are not so proud to say we have accomplished all what the OECD or what the international community is, is asking from Jordan. But yet again, compared to other countries in the neighbor, uh, I think we are moving slowly but surely. The Jordanian House has 130 seats. 20 of them, 15 percent, are filled by women at the moment. This is slightly above the existing quota, which allocates 15 seats to women. In terms of politics, we have introduced a few years ago the quotas. Personally, I think it's a double-edged sword. It's good because we at least have some seats, yet it is lower than it's, than what we want. And it's a preventing from a, a natural homegrown women participation on a very grassroots level. But this happens with time, and this happens with education, with integrating it right from the school to give the female and the young la- ladies how to go to vote, what is their role in the politics, it, it comes slowly, slowly. Politics is no more in Jordan uh, a taboo or something just given to men. I think Jordanian women have really proved that we can lead in the most compassionate, authentic uh, way. I personally worked in environments where all the time they were male-dominated. In some position I had, I was the only female there. and. I encourage every young woman in back home and even here in Europe, because we are not that different uh, that much from Jordan, to not be afraid and to try and to not to shy away, you know, not to be um, just put aside just because it's normal for this sector or for this industry to have more male. Although Lena is optimistic, she is also realistic about the challenges women face in a male-dominated workplace. Look. I have to say it hasn't been easy at all in the beginning, especially when you are 22 years, 23 years old. But then again, I decided to to have a thick skin and I said, I'm not going to cry and go to the restroom with a towel and be intimidated by another male colleague uh, just because I am a lady and, um, and it's unusual to be in these places or in these positions. But I worked much harder than them longer hours, to do more and more in order to be noticed by my seniors, uh, to be able to compete on equal uh, foot, which was never equal. But it's a persistence and uh, it's not to give it up and not to say, yeah, okay, uh, they are better than us. It's it's really difficult. It's very hard. Now in, in our agency, I try as much as possible to have women rather than men. Because I truly believe that we need to empower each other on a day-to-day basis, on our day-to-day practices, not by just saying we need more panels of, full of women or we need more women on board of, of companies or in leadership positions. It begins on a very, very lower level. Lena picks up on something that our own Ryan Heath discussed with Lolba Alcater, Qatar's foreign ministry spokesperson. Tell us, are there many women working in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs? Um, and what is it like working in a, a region that many people perceive as, as male-dominated? 
Absolutely. I mean, um, yes, I'm the first spokeswoman uh, um, in Qatar, I'm the GCC, and probably in the Arab region. That said, I would uh, probably revisit something you posed in your question that uh, women might have a particular position in our part of the world, basically. Um, I think women are having difficulties uh, everywhere. I myself studied in the UK. My undergrad was in engineering, and it was, again, yet another uh, male-dominated world. So I started facing some of the difficulties back then, and I realized that what sometimes in the gender studies discourse they call the glass ceiling was actually there. So it's not seeable necessarily. However, it exists. And then my first job was in the oil and gas sector. Again, yet another male-dominated sector, as you can imagine. Now, only very recently I joined the world of of diplomacy and politics and and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And I think that the same difficulties obviously exist. You have an expectation of having a particular pattern of of professional behavior that is men-like, I would say. And personally, I I reject that. Um, I'm very proud of my identity in all its dimensions including the gender dimension. And I think it's very important for us as, as women uh, around the world uh, to preserve this identity because it's powerful and beautiful. Let's move across the Atlantic, where the midterm elections last November in the United States saw the highest turnout in a century, with more than half of eligible voters casting ballots. The new U.S. Congress includes a record number of women and first-time congressional representatives. It's also one of the most diverse when it comes to race, ethnicity, and sexual orientation. We now have a very diverse uh, U.S. Congress with, uh, you know, a largest number of sort of women and also newcomers. So, you know, there's also um, first-time representatives and then other diversity, whether it's uh, GLBTQ, religion, ethnic. Um, so it, it really is much more representative than it ever was before. That's Karina Horst again from the German Marshall Fund. Our producer, Alina Schart, caught up with her recently at their offices in Brussels. However, it mostly happens on the Democratic side. Uh, the Republicans um, have an issue because they only managed to get one new woman sort of on board, which has a lot to do that they don't like to talk about identity politics. They don't want to single out sort of women because they're women. Um, so it, 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 you know, it, it forces us to have very different um, we need to have a different kind of debate or lang- you know, de- need to develop language to sort of bring um, women from the conservative side on board. And I think that you can do via issues. It's, it's again, sort of uh, policy areas that are interested in. One of those women on the Democratic side is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Day 523 of the Trump administration. It is easily the most shocking result of this political season thus far. Veteran New York City Democratic Congressman Joe Crowley has gone down to primary defeat tonight at the hands of a hard-left 28-year-old opponent named Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This is her first campaign of any kind for political office. Her political career was kick-started when she was recruited and mentored by Justice Democrats and Brand New Congress organizations created to take on establishment Democrats in the wake of Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign. Women need to dare, women need to step forward, and I think this is sort of one of the lessons we can take away from 
developments in the United States, it's that there the attention is really about the individuals and building a pipeline of female politicians who step up and step in and, and you know, are, are willing to run for office. The election of President Trump has certainly helped that because, I mean, to to put it in some grass languages and somewhere, you know, you could see an incompetent man uh, sort of run for office and win. And uh, I think that has empowered some people to say, if he can do it, I can do that too. But it's also, you know, a deeply divided country where you have uh, policy challenges and uh, women no longer felt represented by the politicians that uh, were in the U.S. Congress and wanted to run themselves so they uh, you know they can uh, yeah contribute to changing some of the sort of policy things and it's not just about the so-called women's or family issues whether it's sort of health and uh, you know reproductive rights or sort of education but it's uh, it goes beyond that it's it's also how do we deal with security issues how do we deal with economics um, climate change or even migration and it's about different perspectives and uh, i think you know, if you have diverse people debating those policy issues and trying to take a stand on it, it makes a better policy at the end. I think what is interesting is that so far in the podcast we have talked about the experience of women as being universal, but you rightly point out that diversity is also is not only about including more women, but it is also about race, ethnicity, sexual orientation. Do you see any differences between the US and the EU in the way we talk about diversity. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the United States in some ways is much more accustomed to talk about diversity and, you know, there's also this famous term about intersectionality, you know, where, where it's very much about race and gender and sort of how these sort of fit together. But there's a longer tradition of dialogue and some of these quote-unquote minority groups are also sort of, you know, creating their own organizations and, and doing advocacy on their own. And now it's about, you know, how do you bring them together? Um, there I see Europe still be light ways away because diversity means something very different in Europe. I mean, we have many Central Eastern European countries who are very mono-ethnic. And, you know, if you talk about diversity there, it's gender and, you know, maybe one other factor, but this is it. And those are still also very traditional societies. So different kind of dialogues and, and the debates need to take place there when it comes to more western sort of northern Europe I mean it's, it's Germany it's France and it's the UK that's sort of more diverse um, now with the UK we're losing one of the most diverse sort of uh, countries probably soon so you know we need to have a different kind of debate here and I know you know there's some efforts in in Brussels already to sort of push when it comes to diversity ethnicity and sort of race and I I compliment them and you know the Brussels finders we we try to work together with them and I'm very aware but in some ways Brussels is also dependent on who what the EU member states do and what kind of leaders they send to Brussels so there's something we can do here in Brussels but a lot also still needs to take place in the member states. So what can Europe learn from elsewhere? Gender equality isn't just about politics. Empowering women at different levels in society is important, from education to politics to media. Support each other. Women can achieve more if they work together to advance mutual goals. And even though there are differences in terms of our political systems and cultures, maybe even different goals, 
we all face similar challenges. On the next and final episode of the XX Factor, as voters head to the polls in the European election, we answer this question. Is it time for a woman to run the European Commission? Yeah, it would be great. Not only a female European Parliament, but also a female chair of the Commission. This episode of the XX Factor was produced by Christina Gonzalez and Alina Scott, with special thanks to Ryan Heath and Andrew Gray. I'm Sarah Wheaton. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.